All right, well, we're there in uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 3. If you remember last week, last week we dealt with the first uh, 21 verses. So we're going to start today in verse number 22 of 2 Samuel chapter number 3. But I just want to remind you kind of by way of introduction that in this chapter we find uh, two sets of bad leaders and two sets of bad followers. And last week we saw the first set. We saw Abner, who was not a loyal follower to Ishbosheth, and we saw that in verses 1 through 10 and verses 12 through 21. And then we saw Ishbosheth, who was a fearful leader. He was a leader that was afraid of his followers. We were talking about how today there are parents who are literally afraid of their children, and there are husbands who are afraid to lead their wives, and, and even pastors who are afraid uh, to, to preach to their people. And we saw how Jeremiah was told when God called him to preach. He said to not fear their faces, you know, when you're preaching and to not be afraid of that. This week, we're going to look at Joab and David. We'll begin there in verse number 22. Now, Abner, we saw, was unloyal. Joab is not necessarily unloyal. His problem is that he's unsubmissive. He is not a submissive follower. Now, I would uh, submit to you tonight that there's no point of having someone follow you if they're not going to submit to your authority. If you can't submit, there's no point of having you as a follower. And here you have Joab, who is loyal. And you'll see that he's very loyal, but his problem is he cannot submit. Notice in verse number 22, 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 22, notice what the Bible says. And behold... The servant of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop and brought in a great spoil with them. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he was gone in peace. Now, I want to show you a couple of characteristics of an unsubmissive follower. Notice verse 23. When Joab and all the hosts that was with him were come, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he had sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Notice verse 24. Then Joab came to the king and said, now I want you to understand what's going on here. You've got Joab, who's the general. He's the captain of the host. He works for the king. David is the boss. Joab is the employer. David is the, you know, uh, chief executive, and Joab is underneath him. And you have Joab... And, and, and Joab finds out that David did something that Joab didn't appreciate, something that Joab did not agree with, something that Joab thought was wrong. Now, I want you to notice how he approaches him, verse 24. Then Joab came to the king and said, notice how he's speaking to David. He said, what hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why? He's questioning David. Why is it that thou hast sent him away and he is quite, uh, quite gone? Notice verse 25. Five. Thou knowest Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee and to know thy goings out and thy comings in, to know all that thou doest. And here's what I want you to understand. The first characteristic of a non-submissive follower is that they are disrespectful. Here you have Joab who works for David. Here you have Joab who, who is supposed to be taking orders from David. And he walks in and finds out David did something he didn't like. And he walks in and he says, what are you doing? 
Don't you know, you know, that Abner, why is it that thou hast sent him away? And listen to me, there is a, a red flag ought to go up whenever you see, you know, two people that are supposed to be in the role of leader and follower, and you see the follower telling off the leader or being disrespectful to the leader or being rude to the leader. And today in our society, we've just developed this uh, mentality that the follower, it, you know, can just walk up to the leader and be rude and critical and disrespectful and angry and upset whenever the leader does something they don't like. And listen to me, that is a, a, a flag of someone that is not a submissive follower. Keep your finger there in 2 Samuel chapter 3. That's where we're going to be tonight. But go with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and seven, Second Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 5. I remember when I was uh, getting married, or not getting married, but before I was married, my dad gave me some advice. My dad's here tonight. He's back from Florida. We're happy about that. My dad gave me uh, some advice, and he, here's what he said to me. He said, whenever you get interested in a girl, and you think that might be the girl that you're going to marry, watch how she treats her dad. Watch how she speaks to her dad. Watch how she responds to her dad. Because if she's bad-mouthing her dad, if she's rolling her eyes at her dad, if she's criticizing her dad, if she's blowing up on her dad, she will do that to you. And here's what he was trying to tell me. Figure out how a follower, how they respect their leader, because look, you better, you better and by the way, ladies, you better find, you know, those of you that aren't married, look how a young man treats his mother. Does he open the door for his mother? Does he hug his mother? Is he, is he loving to his mother? That's more than likely how he's going to treat you. Are you there in Ephesians chapter 5? Look at verse number 33. Ephesians 5, verse 33. The Bible says this, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. Notice what the Bible says. And the wife see that she, notice this word, reverence. The word reverence means deep respect or a standing in awe of her husband. He says that she reverence her husband. Now listen to me. A wife that belittles her husband is not a submissive wife. A wife that is, uh, criticizes or is critical of her husband is not a submissive wife. A wife that yells at her husband or hits her husband or throws things at her husband. You don't think that happens? You ought to do counseling with me. That is not a submissive wife. A, a, a wife that is mean and rude to her, I'm, I'm not saying that a wife has to agree with everything her husband, look, you've got a brain, you've got a mind, there's a way to say, hey, I've got an opinion and I disagree, but if you've just got a wife who's constantly being rude to her husband, you've got someone on your hands that is not a submissive follower. You're there in Ephesians 5, look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1. Notice what the Bible says, children. Now, I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say children until you're a teenager. It doesn't say children until you're 13. It says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. You say, well, how long does that children stage last? While you're under the authority of your parents, you're a child. I don't care if you're 24 years old. If you're living at home, if you're not married, you're a child. You're under the authority of your parents. Notice what verse 2 says. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Now look, 
Kids, you cannot honor your parents while you are yelling at your parents. You cannot honor your parents while you're rolling your eyes at your parents. You cannot honor your parents while you're throwing a fit for your parents. You can't, and today, it goes back to this idea of, of parents that are afraid of their children. And listen to me, even at a young age, that little two-year-old or three-year-old or 12-year-old, hopefully not, you know, hits you, you better make sure they don't ever do that again. You better make sure what comes as a result of that, you know, is bad enough that that's never going to happen again. At a young age, you need to teach your children to respect you and, yes, be afraid of you. And the problem with most children today that are just, and these parents, that their kids are out of control, you know, they come to church, they can't control them. They go to the grocery store, they can't control them. They go wherever, they can't control them. Uh, the problem is that you've got parents that are afraid of their children and you've got children that are not afraid of their parents. You know, and my children aren't perfect, and obviously we're training our children. There's always going to be times when they do things and embarrass you, and you've got to correct those, and we understand that. But one thing I'm thankful for, you know, everywhere I go, I take my kids with me to the store. I take them to the bank. I take them wherever. Everywhere I go, you know, people are saying to me, man, your kids are so well-behaved, especially when it's like I've got four children in the line at the bank, and then there's this lady that has one, like, eight-year-old, and he's, like, throwing himself on the floor. People will look back at me and say, like, well, you know, thank you for being a good dad. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you know, they're scared to death. That's, that's, why, that's why they're being good. This child's not scared of anything. I mean, this child knows they can just throw themselves on the floor, throw a tantrum, and nothing's going to happen. And today, we've got wives that are rude. You've got children that are rude. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy, you're there in the book of Ephesians. You're going to go past Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy. Today you've got church people that are rude. Notice what the Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Say, oh, of course you're going to mention this because you're the pastor. Well, who else is going to teach this to you? 1 Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 1. Notice what the Bible says, rebuke not an elder. That's talking about a pastor. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. And the younger men as brethren. I want you to understand it's talking about the way you do something, not that you do it. There's nothing that says you cannot disagree with the pastor. There's nothing that says that you cannot bring a problem to the pastor and say, hey, I'm having an issue with this, or I don't know, you know if I agree with this. There's nothing that says that. But there is scripture that says that your attitude ought to be right when you do it. You ought not walk up to the pastor and just start, you know, telling him and belittling him and criticizing. You say, well, are you saying this for me? Look, forget about me. Just the next guy that pastors this church. You know, you ought not walk up and rebuke him. The Bible says you ought to entreat him as a father. You know, and to me, that, that, that hits home. Because I remember when I was a kid growing up, if I had to do, you ask my mom and dad. They're both here tonight. If I had a disagreement with my mom and dad, that you, you approach carefully. You, you, you know, you, you thought about how you were going to word what you were going to say and whether it was even worth saying it. I mean, you made sure that what you said to mom was never perceived as disrespectful because dad was going to be there to defend her. You walked up in fear and reverence. And today you got people, they walk up to the pastor, they just treat you like, oh, you know, and they disagree. You know, I'm to the point where somebody comes to me with a bad attitude. I just say, you know what, we're not having this conversation. I just walk away. And you say, well, what are you, on some sort of power trip? No, I'm just telling you, the Bible says rebuke not an elder. You can disagree, but you better come with the right attitude. You can disagree, but you better come with a proper attitude, not with your little attitude, because I, I just tell, I'll kick you out of the office, kick you out of the building, just say, we're not talking. I'm not interested in what you have to say. 
And here we see Joab, the first kind of indication of, of an unsubmissive follower is that when David did something he didn't like, instead of saying, hey, David, you know what? I'm, I just want to ask you something. Permission to speak freely, right? <laughs> Military term. David, I, I, you know, I'm just confused. Isn't Abner the guy we were fighting? I know I was gone. Maybe I missed something. But why, why are we now? Why is he now a friend? Can you just, can, I just, I need some clarification. That's what he should have said. But he walks in and says, what are you doing, David? And he has a bad attitude. And he's rude. And he, I'm telling you right now. You say, how do I know if my wife's unsubmissive? Is she rude to you? She's unsubmissive. How do I know if my children are not submissive? Do they yell at you? They're not submissive. The first characteristic we see of an unsubmissive follower is that they're rude. They're disrespectful. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. And by the way, if your wife's rude to you, sir, that's your fault. If your children are rude to you, that's your fault. If your employees are rude to you, that's your fault. It's the leader's fault. When people are at church are rude to me, it's because I'm not I'm being too nice, you know. And you guys are like, well, I don't know about that. All right, go to 2 Samuel chapter 3, look at verse 26. Unsubmissive followers are disrespectful. Number two, I'd like you to notice. Unsubmissive followers are deceitful. Notice what he does, verse 26. And when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again to the well of Sirah. And don't miss this, you gotta underline this in your Bible. But David knew it not. He decided David did something I didn't like. We're going to go ahead and fix that, and we're just going to keep it from David. He was a deceitful follower. Notice verse 27. And when Abner was returned to Hebron. So understand what's going on. Joab, without David's knowledge, sends a messenger to Abner and says, Hey, you know, uh, come back. We, we, We need to talk with you about something. Verse 27. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib, and he died for the blood of Asahel's brother. Because you remember, and I don't have time to go into it, but you remember that Abner had killed Joab's brother. But the difference is Abner killed Joab's brother in battle. While they were fighting, and he gave him every opportunity. He said, look, I don't want to fight you. I don't want to kill you. You may want to back off. Here you have uh, Joab killing Abner and basically murdering him in cold blood. I mean, they've already made an allegiance. And then he, he says, hey, come back. We forgot to tell you something. He takes him off to the side, and then he just uh, smote him. The Bible says he took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly, and he smote him there under the fifth rib, and he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. See, the first characteristic of an unsubmissive follower is that they're rude. They're disrespectful. The second characteristic of an unsubmissive follower is that they are deceitful. I don't understand. I hear about this all the time. I don't understand. I can't even comprehend how this works because my, my house is just different, you know. But I don't understand this idea of wives going on shopping sprees that the husbands have no idea about. I mean, I, I don't even understand how that works. I don't understand how, how that happens, you know. Children hiding things from their parents, sneaking out and sneaking around and doing things. And you know what? It just shows an unsubmissive follower, the one who, you know, you know in our house, my wife buys nothing without my knowledge. And by the way, I don't purchase anything without letting my wife know. 
You say, well, you know, aren't you the leader? I'm just out of respect for my wife, just because I love her and I want her to know how we're doing financially. I don't just go around spending money without letting my wife know, and she doesn't do that either. And, some, and you get these couples today, and it's like, they're, it's like they're living two different worlds. It's like, well, she spent this much, and he's I don't understand that. I don't get that. But here's all I'm saying is whenever you've got a follower who's deceiving, who's lying, who's doing things without the leader's knowledge, you've got an unsubmissive follower. Go to 2 Peter chapter number 2. I don't know if you kept your place in 1 Timothy. I meant to tell you to keep your place there. I apologize if you didn't. But 2 Peter, if you're at 1 Timothy still, you're going to go past Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st, and 2nd Peter. And by the way, in marriage, there ought to be nothing that you are hiding from your spouse. I hope that's obvious. I don't know how much you have to preach that, but I hope that just makes sense. Everything ought to, you ought to communicate. I'm shocked the lack of communication uh, marriages have today. It's just, it amazes me. It's crazy to me. I, I, I don't understand it. It doesn't compute in my mind, but I know this. As a pastor, I have to preach it because it happens. And you need to communicate with your spouse. You need to talk with your spouse. You need to let them know what's going on and vice versa, not just bottle things up. Second Peter chapter number 2. Second Peter chapter number 2. We have unsubmissive followers are deceitful. We talk about wives and children. Let's talk about church people. Second Peter chapter number 2. Look at verse 1. But there were false prophets also among the people. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who, I want you to notice this word, who privately or privately or secretly shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Listen, when people come into a church with bad doctrine, they don't walk up to the pastor and say, Hi, my name is Joe, and I want to spread non-eternal security here. You know? It's very rare that they come up to you and say, Hi, my name is, you know, whatever, and I, I'm here to try to destroy this ministry. That's not usually how it happens. Whatever they do, they do privately. They do secretly. And, and again, and, and, and I'll tell you this, because our church is a little different, and it's the lack of leadership on my part. And, you know, everything falls and rises on leadership, and if we're failing in any area, I'll, I'll take the blame for that. But I don't understand the Christianity of today that we have. I grew up in fundamental Baptist churches and under many good pastors. I grew up, and, and under my parents, where you didn't go home and talk bad about the pastor or the pastor's wife. I mean, I, the church that I was trained in for the ministry, I was just taught in church, you get an email, and it's got half the church on it, and the pastor's not on there, or the pastor's wife's not on there, that's a bad person. You get, you know, you, you, you get a party going, and half the church is invited, but the pastor's not invited, or the pastor's wife's not invited, that's a bad person. You got a guy inviting 12 of the men of the church to Starbucks, but the pastor's not invited, that's a bad person. Look, whenever people are trying to keep something from the pastor because they're doing something bad, I'm not saying they're trying to split the church, but they're trying to sell Amway or trying to sell Mary Kay or whatever it is they're trying to do. They're trying to keep something from the pastor. And you've got people that are deceitful or unsubmissive followers. We've got people in our church, and I thank God for it. I've got, we've got people in our church send me a text saying, hey, pastor, I'm having so-and-so over. Just want to let you know. I'm th- I thank the Lord for that. I've got people in our church that send me a text saying, hey, pastor, just want you to know, I hired so-and-so from church to take care of X, Y, Z. Just thought you might want to know that. I'll just say thanks for letting me know. 
It just helps to keep the pastor in the loop with those situations. But whenever you've got someone who says, no, 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 let's have a talk, but don't tell the pastor. Hey, you've got a bad person on your hands. Are you there in 2 Peter chapter 2? Look at verse 10. Notice what he says, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed. Notice what it says. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. What's a dignity? A person of rank, a position, a leader. So they're not afraid. Say, well, Pastor, what am I supposed to do if somebody walks up to me and starts talking smack about you? Here's what you're supposed to do. Hey, you know what? Why don't we go to the pastor and let's talk to him about it? Because here's the problem. I'm not the pastor. And by the way, that's just a good rule of thumb. Some co-worker walks up to you and says, yeah, our boss and the manager and blah, blah, blah. Say, hey, you know what? I'm not the boss and I'm not the manager. If you've got an issue with them, you might want to go to them. And by the way, just, just even if they're not your leader, somebody walks, to, walk, walks up to you and wants to talk smack about a fellow church people, person. Say, yeah, no, sister so-and-so. Say, you know what? I'm not sister so-and-so. Maybe you should go talk to her about it. Maybe you should go talk to him about it. Look, the way that we keep unity in the church is by just keeping things in the open, keeping things in the clear. Well, you've got unsubmissive followers when you've got people that are deceitful. You've got unsubmissive followers when you've got people that are disrespectful. We see in Joab an unsubmissive follower. Go back to 2 Samuel chapter number 3. I'd like you to notice not only number one that we see the unsubmissive follower, but I want you to notice number two, we see the favoring leader in David. Now, David was generally a good leader. But he had some issues in his leadership, and we will see that as we study the life of David. And here we begin to see it. He is a leader who favors certain people over others. He is what the Bible calls a respecter of persons. Notice 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse number 28. And after, afterward, when David heard it, when David heard what? That Joab killed Abner. He said, notice what David said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. I mean, as soon as he hears about it, he's like, I just want to say I had nothing to do with this, and I wasn't for it. Notice verse 29. Let it rest upon the head of Joab and in all his father's house. And let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or one that is a leper, or one that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. That's a pretty bad blessing, a curse that he just gave Joab, not a blessing, a curse. Notice verse 3. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner because he had slain their brother, Asahel, at Gibeon in the battle. Verse 31. And David said to Joab, notice David goes to Joab and said, he says to Joab uh, and to all the people that were with him, rend your clothes and gird you with sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And the king himself followed the buyer. That's the coffin. So now they're heading to the funeral. David himself is following. He tells Joab, you better come and mourn this man. They go to the funeral. Notice verse uh, 32. And they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. Now keep in mind, Joab is with them. Notice what he says in verse 33. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Keep in mind, Joab is just right there. Died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put in fetters. He said, you weren't captured. You weren't arrested. You, weren't, you didn't fall after a battle. As a man falleth before, notice, wicked men. Joab's right there. 
He said, as a man followed before wicked men. He just called Abner and Asael wicked men. So fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. David made quite a show. David wanted to make sure that people knew, I didn't send Joab. I wasn't for this. Joab did this on his own. David said a lot of great things. He put a curse on Joab. He said, I have nothing to do with this. He called Joab a wicked man. He said, Abner was a great man, and he died before wicked men. But I would submit to you tonight that there was one major thing that David forgot to say uh, to Joab or about Joab, and it was this, Joab needs to be put to death. I mean, Joab just killed a man in cold blood. Joab just murdered a man. And David makes a big fuss about how he had nothing to do with it and how it was wrong and how he was wicked. Yet he did not punish or correct Joab. Now, here's what's interesting. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 4. Now, we'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 4 next week, and we're going to develop the whole story next week. But I just want to show you something from 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse number 5. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, you have another murder, not Abner, but his boss is Ishbosheth. Notice what the Bible says, 2 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 5. And the sons of Rimon, the Berothite, Rechab and Baena, went and came about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth. That was Abner's boss, Abner's king, who lay on a bed at noon. And they came hither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched sweet, and they, notice, smote him under the fifth rib. I wonder where they got that idea from. And Rechab and Baena, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed on his bedchamber, and they smote him and slew him and behated him and took his head and got them away through the plain all night. Notice verse 8. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David to Hebron and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thine enemy, which sought thy life, and the Lord hath avenged my lord, the king this day, of Saul and of his seed. Do you understand what's going on here? Rechab and Baena basically walk in. Ishbosheth is asleep, and they kill him in his sleep. They murder him. Then they bring the head to David, thinking they're bringing him good news. And we're gonna we're gonna get into this next week, and we'll look at different lessons from it. But I want you to notice how David responds, verse number twelve. And David commanded his young men that they slew them. And cut off their hands and their feet, and hanged them up over the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulchre of Abner in Hebron. Here's what I want you to understand. In the very next chapter, you've got these two guys, Recap and Baena, and they basically do the exact same thing that Joab does, and they kill someone in cold blood. And David does not hesitate to say, you know what? You deserve to die for murdering a man. And he puts him to death. And here's the question that I have for David. David. Why did you not punish Joab, but you punished Rechab and Baena? I'll submit to you that the answer is in verse 22 of 2 Samuel chapter number 3. Mind taking a look at that? 2 Samuel chapter 3 and verse number 22. Notice what the Bible says. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop. Here's what I want you to understand. Joab was a good church member. Joab was the kind of church member you'd like to have. I'd like you to notice what he was doing. Joab came from pursuing a troop. You know what Joab was doing? He was fighting. He was fighting for the cause of David. In our church world, you would translate this as Joab was a soul winner. Joab was in the battle. Joab was fighting and doing. Joab was a volunteer. Joab was helping with the cause. 
Joab was driving a van. Joab was cleaning the building. Joab was helping with the ministry. Joab was helping with soul winner. Joab was actively engaged in the fight, but it was better than that. Notice verse 22. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from pursuing a troop and, and brought in a great spoil with them. Not only was Joab actively fighting for David's cause, Joab was actively financing David's cause. He not only fought the battles, he also brought in income. I mean, that's what a great spoil is. He, brought, he was fighting, and then he'd bring money along. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he was gone in peace. Listen, I'm not trying to offend any of you, and I hope I don't. We've got people in our church, they are faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I thank the Lord for them. We've got people in our church, they are faithful to soul winning, and I thank the Lord for that. We've got people in our church that are faithful, maybe not faithful in their church attendance too much, but they are faithful with their tithes and offerings, and I thank the Lord for that. But we've got some people in our church that are Joabs. They're not only faithful Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, they're faithful to soul winning. And they tithe. They're assets. They're producers. They're really helping. It would really hurt us. See, when the, when the you know, visiting, drugged up person walks in on a Sunday morning, asks me to pay their rent, sits down, and I say, well, let's talk about it after service. Sits down, I start preaching, they get offended and walk out the door. That doesn't really hurt me that much. I just think, well, I don't have to help them with the rent now. <laughs> but when you've got a Joab, and he's fighting, he's volunteering, he's soul winning, he's giving, he's helping, he's an asset, you better believe there's a temptation there to maybe play favorites a little bit. You better believe there's maybe a temptation there to maybe not hit on that person's sin that much or not say no to that individual or not be... You, you, think, you say, Pastor, I can't believe you. I, I'm just saying as a human being, there's a temptation for David. You say, well, why did he kill these guys? Recab and Baena. Here's why he killed them, because they were nobodies. He didn't need them. He just said, put them to death. But when Joab crossed the line, oh, he threw a fit and he made a big deal and he made sure people knew he wasn't for it. But he didn't punish Joab. Why? Because David was playing favorites. Go to James chapter number 2. James chapter number 2. If you kept your place in 2 Peter, you're going to go past 1 Peter and uh, Hebrews, James. James chapter number 2. I'm sorry, not past 1 Peter. You're going to go backwards. 2 Peter, 1 Peter, James, Hebrews. If you get to Hebrews, you went a little too far. James chapter 2. Now, on Sunday, we're going to be talking about the, the second part of James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. But the first part of James chapter 2 deals with this idea of respect of persons. I don't want to develop the whole thing, but I want to show you some verses about it. James chapter number 2, look at verse number 1. Notice what he says. My brethren, have not faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. He said, the faith of Christ should never be with respect of persons. For if there come unto you... Uh, unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? And you know what? At Very Baptist Church, we try very hard to make sure that we treat and love and respect everyone who walks through that door. 
It doesn't matter what they can do for us. It doesn't matter how much money they may put in the offering. It doesn't matter if they put any money in the offering plate or if they do anything for us. They're, a, they're an individual that needs the gospel and we love them and we care for them. And I'll tell you this, in, in my ministry, I work very hard and my wife works very hard to make sure that no one can ever accuse us of being a respecter of persons. And sometimes this puts us in difficult situations. There's been times when we've had to explain to someone, no, you can't go to that activity, or no, you, you can't go to that event, or no, you can't do that, and here's why. If we open it up to you, we have to open it up to everyone. And if we open it up to you only, then we'll be practicing respect of persons. We'll be favoring someone over others. And we've tried very hard to maintain leadership that is not favoring one over the other. Notice, notice James chapter 2, look at verse 9. But if ye have respect of, uh, to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as a transgressor. God says it's a sin to look at one person and say, I favor this person over another. It's, there's no place for it in ministry. Now let me say this. Some, I, sometimes people will accuse me of favoring. Because sometimes people, you know, a guy will look at me and say, well, pastor, you know, he's not that close to me. And he seems to be real close with brother so-and-so or with brother so, you know. I, I know he, 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 he talks on the phone with brother so-and-so. He texts messages, brother so-and-so. Or he, you know, uh, uh, spends a lot of time with brother so-and-so. And here's what I, it's always funny. I always tell people the same thing. You know, you want to you wanna be my friend for whatever that's worth? You know who I'm closest to, the men that I'm closest to at Verity Baptist Church? I'll tell you exactly who they are. The men who show up Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning. They're here for men's preaching nights. They're here when we have work times. They, they're, they're here for everything. Those are the men that I'm closest to. You know why? Because they're with me in the battle. And, and you'll have guys say, like, well, pastor, you know, he doesn't spend that much time with me. And I always say the same thing. It's because you show up to church once a month. I mean, what do you want me to do? And, you get, and, and look, I've had people that were close to me at one point because they were in the battle. And they got backslidden. I didn't move. They moved. You say, well, pastor's playing favorites. No, no, I'm not playing favorites. I'm just, if you're going to fight with me, we're going to spend time together. You're going to be faithful. We're going to spend time together. You're going to be in the battle with me. Hey, we're going to spend time together. But it's not a respect of persons just because I like, look, there's very few people I like. <laughs> I, I like my wife. And I like God. And everyone, you know, I like my children. And everyone else, I'm not really that too sure about. <laughs> Go back to 2 Samuel. You say, well, what's the application that you can take from that? Here's the application you can take from that. If you're a Joab at Verity Baptist Church, you say, I, I'm, I come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I go soul winning. I tithe and give, and I give towards the vision offering. I get involved when it's nine chapters a day, I'm with it. When it's work days, I'm with it. When it's this, when it's that, I'm with it. Hey, I, I'm one of those guys. Jo- hey, if you're a Joab at Verity Baptist Church, and maybe you're a female Joab, that's okay. You're sold out, you're committed, you're in this thing, and yet sometimes you come to church and I step on your toes in a sermon, or I correct you, or I say no to you, or I rebuke you, or I tell you, hey, you know, no, we're not going to do that, no, that's not okay, no, I need you to change that. You know, instead of getting mad at Pastor Jimenez, why don't you just thank God that you've got a pastor that doesn't play favorites? And that I'm going to preach as hard to you, I don't care how much money you put in the offering plate, as I do to anyone else. 
And I'm going to correct you and love you and spend time with you as much as I'm going to do with anyone, no matter how much time they give us, or no matter how much they donate, no matter how many battles they're fighting. Because look, we are not to respect people and look at some people better than others. We're to love people. We're here for people. No matter what stage they're in, no matter how they're growing, we're to be sold out for everyone. And, you know, instead of saying, well, you know, but doesn't pass, I mean, I do, I do so much. Why doesn't he let me? You ought to just thank God that you don't have a David who's playing favorites and saying, well, Joab can get away with it because, you know, I kind of need Joab. But you guys, I don't remember last time you showed up for church. Let's just put you to death. That's a bad leader, the one who plays favorites. That's a bad leader, the one who has respect of persons. Look, you say, well, you know, I, I give a lot. Pastor still gets on me. Good, amen. That's what you need. Why? I do a lot. Pastor still preaches against me. Good, amen. That's what we need. That's what you need. Bible says that, uh, you know, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for uh, uh, instruction, for correction. Uh, Good night. I'm I'm misquoting. Let's look at it. 2 Timothy chapter, I'm going to memorize these verses and you get up here and you can't quote them. That's how it always works. Some of you have memorized verses. I'm going to make you quote them from up here one of these days. Let's look at it. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here's why. Verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's why you come to church, that you may become perfect, meaning complete and whole, Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Here's what you should be getting every time the Word of God is, is, is open. Doctrine should be learning the Bible. Reproof. Correction. Reproof is somebody telling you, no, that's wrong. Correction, telling you how to fix it. Instruction, telling you how to not do the wrong thing to begin with. And in righteousness. If you're not getting that, then why are we here? Well, I just don't think that I should, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I, to the best of my ability, I don't know and or care how much you give. And I don't care how much you show up, and I don't care how much you do, and I don't care, and don't misunderstand me, I, I truly appreciate, there are some of you, uh, you know, I, I hope you never leave. I mean, you do so much, and you help us so much. I appreciate all you do, but it's not going to stop the preaching that comes from this pulpit. And I would hope, I would hope that you would appreciate that. That you would appreciate the fact that someone would stand up and preach to you no matter how much of an asset you are. Go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll finish up. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me finish up with these thoughts on leadership. Notice what the Bible says about David. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 36. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 36. And all the people took notice of it. 2 Samuel. Good night. What am I saying? 2 Timothy. Good night. 2 Samuel chapter 3. You're slowing us down. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verse 36. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 36. I want you to notice, remember David's doing his big, you know, making sure that people know that he didn't want to kill Joab. I want you to notice how the people responded. Verse 36, and all the people took notice of it. That's a good leadership lesson. Whatever you are leading in, people are taking notice of it. Mom and dad, your children are taking notice of everything you do. 
As a pastor, I need to realize, as a pastor, you say, why do you, why do you work so hard at making sure people don't, you know, think you're ever respecting persons over others? Because whatever I do, people take notice of it. Whatever my wife does. You're like, well, is your wife a leader? I, she, for whatever, it's, she's not a leader, but for whatever it's worth, people take notice of the things she does. You know, you're, you're the boss at work. You're the manager. You're the, you're the, the, the business owner. People are going to take notice. You better make sure you show up on time. You better make sure that you don't tell your employees to not be late and then you're late or to not take long breaks and then you take long breaks. As a pastor, I can't tell our people, go soul winning and then not show up on Saturday morning. I mean, as a pastor, I need to make sure that everything I tell you, I'm doing. And that we are, you know, because people will take notice of what you're doing. Your kids are watching everything you do. And look, your kids are smarter than you think. You say, well, I told my kids to not do X, Y, and Z. But when you do that, they see that. They take notice of it. And all the people took notice of it. Notice the second thing, verse 36. This is especially true about children, especially with fathers. If you're a dad tonight, I want you to take note of this. And it pleased them. You know what I've noticed about young children? Dad can do no wrong. I mean, young children, their dad is their hero. Their dad is, is great. And you know what? Just in leadership in general, there's a rule that, it, at least initially in leadership, there's always this thing where everything the leader does pleases them. And, you know, be, obviously we, ought to not follow, we need to follow men as they follow Christ, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, right? But here's what you need to understand. Make sure that you don't, that, that doesn't leave. You talk about the president, the first 100 days or what the honeymoon stage. Because at first, like, whenever we get a new president, not for, uh, not for me because I hate all politicians, but for most of Americans, you know, the president can't do anything wrong, right? And I've noticed in ministry the same way. People start coming to our church, they, they hear me preach, and they're like, it's like, pastor can't do anything wrong. I mean, pastor, this was great. And about 100 days afterwards, they start finding out things. <laughs> they start realizing, oh, he's just a guy like anyone else, you know. And, you know, and, and with your children the same way. They start growing up and they start realizing, oh, you know, I man, I remember my dad being a lot stronger, you know. I remember my dad being great. I remember my mom being great. Hey, just realize when you're the leader, initially at least, everything you do is going to please people. Make sure you don't ruin that. Your kids are watching you. Your employees are watching you. Sir, your wife is watching you. She's noticing what you do. She's noticing your hypocrisy. It may please her for a while, but make sure you don't take advantage of that. When you're a leader, people take notice. When you're a leader, it should please them. Let's bow our heads.